0: Good evening. I am associate pastor Eric Corbett filling in for Pastor Rick this evening. And we have a topical message. If you would turn to Psalm 119. And I hope you had dinner cuz we're going to no, we're not going to do the whole song. We'll just do one verse. Just one verse. Psalm 119, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 18. And it simply reads, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Interesting that we had that first song. Uh, Open open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Uh, May he indeed do that tonight. So uh, the title of tonight's message is Behold the Word. And so we're going to focus talking about God's Word this evening. God's Word has been given to us by him, and we have it because he's preserved it. Uh, He's preserved it, and he's designated it to be the source of truth, the source of truth about him, the source of truth about us, and about everything else that we need to know. The Apostle Paul, writing to uh, uh, Timothy, a pastor, regarding the Word of God, says this in 2 Timothy 3.16. He says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so Psalm 119, if you're not familiar with it, is all about God's word, the the whole thing. All of those verses speak about God's word in some form or another throughout the entirety of the psalm. And so the psalmist, who is likely David, obviously has a very high view of God's word and uh, the, the scripture, and so should we. He has a high enough view that he writes an entire song about it, because, of course, all of the psalms are songs. They, they had music uh, that was put to them, and we just have the words preserved today, mainly, but the words are powerful enough. And so this psalmist wanted to sing and to put music to a song about God's word. Think about that. He loved God's word enough where he wrote a song, a very long song, by the way, the longest psalm that we have recorded in Scripture, and it's about God's word. That's how much it meant to him that he wanted to sing about it. This would give new meaning to 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 the verse in Ephesians 517, if we if you're familiar with it, where it says speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And that's you know, it's it is a blessing to sing to the Lord. He loves to hear us sing. Um, and, of course, again, we're talking about God's word and how important God's word is for us, but how important it is to him that he gave it to us. And so how much of a blessing is it for him when we when we have a, a, a God's word in our heart and it comes out? Uh, it comes out. It can come out in the form of songs and worship. We, we do that on a regular basis. But just having God's word in our heart, I believe, is, is something that's pleasing to the Lord and is a, is a benefit to us. So God intends for us to see all things that he has to say to us through the lens of his word. We should view all things through scripture, and we must trust him to show us these things. And so in order to do that, we need to look to his word and trust it, and, um, and so we'll, we'll dig into it now. So the verse again, Psalm 119 verse 18 simply says, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your, your law. So we'll break the, this, this verse up into to three parts. The first part we'll look at is, open my eyes. The psalmist is writing, he says, open my eyes. It's a, it's a, it's a prayer to the Lord, as, to the Lord as, as oftentimes prayers are incorporated into the psalms. And he says, open my eyes. So that word open means to uncover uh, or to reveal. It, it gives the idea uh, of to strip of all covering or surface layers, to, to, to lay bare. So he's asking that to happen to his eyes. And before we're born again, we're all blind spiritually. Blindness, of course, is is a lack of sight. And before coming to the Lord and becoming a Christian, we're blind from a spiritual perspective. We can't truly see the things of God, and we need to have our eyes open because, of course, sin has covered or blinded our eyes. And uh, for kind of an example of this, uh, a picture, if you will, of, of that blindness before, before meeting Jesus Christ. In John chapter, uh, Go- John's Gospel, chapter 9, um, there's a man that's blind from birth, and Jesus encounters him, and he heals him. And it's a very interesting story because he goes on and gets challenged by the religious leaders and takes them to task. Uh, but we'll pick it up in John, chapter 9, verse 1. And it says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sin. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So here Jesus encounters a blind man. He's never seen in his life. He was born this way. And of course there's, you know, a theological question that the disciples ask and Jesus has to clear that up. But he goes on to heal this man. He does it in a very interesting way. He makes this mud out of spit and clay and puts it on his eyes and then he tells him he's go wash. And he he does this and as a result he comes back seeing. He's he can see for the first time in his life ever. And that's like the, the the unbeliever or like who we were before we come to Christ. We can't see from a spiritual perspective. We're blind from birth because we're all born sinners. And so just like this man, we have to have that blindness lifted. And Jesus is the only one that can truly do that. And so he does that for this man. He goes on, and again, he, he gets this encounter with the religious leaders, and they, they kick him out of the synagogue. And so we'll, we'll pick it up uh, uh, further in, in John chapter 9, verses 34 uh, in, through 38. And it says this. Um, this is, of, of course, him, him encountering the religious leaders. And they, they answered and said to him, you are completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. So, of course, the thought was is that because of sins, that was the result of, of his blindness, which, again, Jesus dealt with that. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who may see may be made blind. And I didn't mean to read verse 38, excuse me, verse 39. But the, the point that I'm making here is that here is this man. He was blind from birth, just like we are before we encounter Jesus. He meets Jesus, and then, of course, his blindness is taken away. And, and what does he do? Rightfully, the thing that he does is he puts his faith in, in Jesus Christ. And he, he understands that it's because of Jesus that he now has this sight. And so our eyes are opened when we see Jesus. When we see Jesus for the first time, I mean, when you truly see him, Your eyes are opened. And, uh, again, this blind man didn't see anything before he met the Lord, and we can't see anything, uh, the things of God, before we come to know Jesus Christ. I mean, truly. 1 Corinthians uh, 2.14 says this, But the natural man, that's the one that's not regenerate, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So the person who's not been born again can't see God. And even when he does, uh, when God does things right in front of the face of that individual, they, they oftentimes, they miss them. Um, how many times have we encountered somebody that's got incredible, th- they're not a believer, and they got all sorts of turmoil and things going on in their lives, and, and, you know, we engage them, and, you know, maybe you know a little bit about something that's going on, and, and you're praying for them, and then things start to happen. And, you know, some of the, the things that um, were oppressive and, and, and problems uh, are dealt with. And, and as a believer, you can see that it's the hand of the Lord that's involved in this. And you're like, look, you know, you know God is, is being merciful to you. You know, maybe there was, you know, trouble, and law or something like that, and, and God just dismisses things. Or maybe there was sickness and God heals them. Um, or, or opportunity that they missed out on that now is presented. And you're like, look, this is the Lord. And they're like, what are you talking about? And and they can't see it. They're just so blinded. into us, it's like, there's like signs going off. It's like neon, you know, burp, burp, burp. it's like the Lord is, I am here to, to, to minister to you. And they're just like, oh, what? And it's because they can't see it. It's, 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 they're blind. And this is... Often because of Satan, you know, he's called the God of this age. And in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, it says that he's blinded those who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ shine on them. And of course, his purpose is, is to not allow or to get in what, the way and to disrupt and dis, to distract this other individual from seeing that God is working in their lives on their behalf, even though they're not, you know, necessarily acknowledging him or, or, or um you know, directly moving towards him, because God, you know, he draws. And God, again, he's, he's merciful and he's kind. Um, he lets the, the sun shine on the just and on the unjust alike, because that's who he is. Um, but, you know, oftentimes people are blinded to the point where they, they just miss these things altogether. But that's not the case for those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ. And uh, like the man in in John chapter 9, we were once blind, but now we see. And that's ever since we we met and encountered the Lord Jesus. So then there are others who are, um, they see Jesus in quotes, but not the right way. And they think that they can see, but they're, in fact, they're blind. And Jesus encounters these also in the same account in in John chapter 9, verses 39 through 41. I've already read 39. I'll read it again. He says, And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who may see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. So Jesus is calling them out here, and he's saying, look, you really are missing the point. You, you claim to have this sight, this spiritual insight. They were supposed to be the ones who were the, the spiritual leaders of the nation, those who, um, you know, the Pharisees prided themselves originally on, on the scriptures, on God's word. And yet here they are in front of the Messiah, and they can't, they can't see him. They miss him. And they are condemning. A man who was born blind, saying that it was because of sin, and now this man has been been miraculously healed and now sees, and they cast him out. And they're like, you know, what are you doing following this this one? And so there are those who are religious but may not have a real relationship with God, and uh, that's how they see Jesus. they Or they think that they can see, but they can't. They have all sorts of wrong ideas about Christ, and therefore they miss him altogether. And again, you know, the Jews of today the, that are not, um, uh, that have not believed in Jesus as their Messiah, they're blind. And they're very, very religious, very, very zealous. Um, they are all about so many things about God, much of it superstition, much of it uh, man's uh, adding to or taking away from the scripture. But um, they have missed him. And unfortunately, that has set them up for when the false Messiah comes, which we could be very close to, they're going to acknowledge him because they have, they have missed the one that they were supposed to be looking for that actually came to them, and they have dismissed him. Others who who have other thoughts about who Christ is, we 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 hear you know talk about them all the time. The Jehovah so called Jehovah's Witnesses, because they don't really know the real Jehovah, Um, and they claim to be his witnesses, and yet they they don't even acknowledge Jesus as God. Um, You know, Mormons, uh, Muslims, you know, they have a, a different perspective on Jesus. They acknowledge him as a prophet, but he's not greater than their so called prophet. And so there are people who are very religious that that believe that they have a very keen spiritual insight, and they are just as blind as can be, and they they miss um, the one that they need to be setting their eyes on, and that's Jesus Christ. And so for the believer, we have this sight, this spiritual sight. But even though we have seen Jesus, we still oftentimes need to see more of him. We know who he is. We've experienced his love, his grace, his forgiveness, his salvation. We have that. But there is still much more. And um, for an example of that, kind of that that picture of of just needing more of just than just seeing Jesus Christ for the first time. We'll look at the Apostle Paul, who was started off as Saul of Tarsus and uh, he encounters the Lord. And in Acts chapter nine, verse uh, verse seven. This is, of course, he's going to arrest the Christians, and thinking he's doing God's work, he was one of the blind. <laughs> he couldn't see uh, Jesus for who he, he is. Uh, and Jesus steps in, and, and all of that changed. Um, Acts chapter 9, verse 7, And the men who journeyed with him, but this is, of course, after the Lord encounters him, the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. So before his encounter with the Lord on the road to Damascus, Saul of Tarsus had physical sight. He could see, um, but he was spiritually blind. He really could not see what was going on. He thought that he was doing God's service by persecuting this, this uh, group, this sect called the Way, and he was spiritually blind. But then he meets Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And when he met Jesus, in that moment, he loses his sight. <laughs> you know, it says that the light was blinding, like the, the brightness of the sun. And, and and even years later, I believe that, you know, there's indication that Paul had bad eyesight. And uh, like many of us do, myself included. Um, and I believe that a a, a a great part of that happened. In that encounter, that the light was just—it it just permanently changed his his physical sight. But um, when he meets the Lord Jesus Christ, his spiritual eyes are awakened. He, all of the lights turn on, so to speak, as we as the saying goes. But he was made spirit—excuse me—physically blind because of the event. The glory of the Lord shining just so directly around him blinded him, and he was blind for three days. But then some time passes and he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And we'll pick that up in in, uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 17 and 18. Of course, the Lord sends Ananias, one of his his servants, to go minister to Paul that he may be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Acts chapter 9, verse 17 says this. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, on Paul. Paul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And so, so Saul of Tarsus encounters the Lord Jesus. He spiritually gains this sight, but physically is still blinded. And so he has seen the Lord Jesus, Later on, he, he says that very plainly, that I saw the Lord Jesus, and, and the Lord appears to him many times throughout his ministry. But he was physically blinded. And so then uh, Ananias comes, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and then these scales fall up his eyes, and so he regains his physical sight. So... Uh, When he met Jesus, he lost that physical sight but gained spiritual sight. And then later, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he regained that physical sight, and he needed that so that he could be more effective in serving the Lord. And so this man later becomes known to us as the Apostle Paul. He was, of course, a dynamo for the Lord, and he had a great capacity to see things of the Lord. Uh, We have much of our New Testament uh, because of this man, uh, the spiritual insight that God gave him. Was just incredible, and he has allowed that to be shared with us, so that we could, uh, the church could be in, in taught, encouraged, and uh, strengthened throughout the ages. And so, because of the Holy Spirit, we have a great capacity like this man, Paul. We have a great capacity to see the things of the Lord also. It's the Holy Spirit. You know, he's the one that I, I like. I call him, you know, he's, he's the God of understanding. It, you know, he enlightens the eyes. He, 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 he takes the scripture and he makes it real to us. I remember, you know, probably heard me say this before. When I was a brand new Christian, I was very scripturally illiterate. There was There was very little scripture that I had been exposed to over the years and um god started to work that in my heart in my life even before i became a believer but there was so much that i still just didn't know that was in the bible and there would be times when i would be going through the scriptures and i'd, I'd read something and and it would strike me as a as a profound truth but i wasn't quite sure what it was and god and his mercy and his grace would allow me to be in a situation somewhere where I would literally see that scripture carried out in front of my eyes or I'd hear a conversation that would it would click. And I knew it was the I knew it was the Holy Spirit. And he was taking it and he was making application for the scripture that I had no understanding for to put it in a real life situation so that I could understand it so that then I could build upon that and, and my um, scriptural knowledge would, would continue to expand. And I'm I'm sure he does the same thing with all of us as believers, because that's who he is. And, uh, but it's the Holy Spirit that gives us this wonderful capacity to see scripture and to see things taking place that we can, we can say, this is the Lord. And, um, that's a glorious thing. So when the psalmist says, as he writes, you know, open my eyes, he's not physically blind asking to, to see, and we, we covered that. He's also not someone that falls into the category of someone who can see um, or thinks that they can see, but they, they really can't. He can already see both physically and spiritually, but he's asking to see further. God, open my eyes that I have your word. I love your word. I want more of your word and I want more understanding about your word so that I can have more understanding about you. And so this is available to us. And I believe it's what God wants for all of his people to have that to ask him for him to open our eyes so that we may see wondrous things going on to the next phrase in the in the verse. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things. In the Old King James, uh, the word translated as see is translated as behold um, in, the, uh, in this verse. So it's tra- it could be read that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And so to behold is to look intently at. It's not like a casual look. It's not like you just glance at something and move on about your business. To behold something means to look at it and to take it in. And sometimes there's things that we need to do that with. We, we, it, it requires more than just, you know, if some, you see something and something's a little off, you know, you're walking at night and you see, you know, you go around a dark corner and you see something moving. You're not just going to maybe glance at that and just kind of go about your business. You're going to kind of maybe look and, and, and engage. And um, so the behold is to look intently at or to regard with favor or care. In other words, to pay attention to. And so we are to pay attention to the things of God's word so that we can see these wonderful things. And um, in particular, we're to do this with God's word. Second Timothy 2.15, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So if we want to get more out of scripture, we've got to do our part. It's, you're not going to be able to just <laughs> grow in your knowledge of Scripture and understanding by slipping a Bible under your pillow at night. It doesn't work that way. You've got you to put in some work and um, because uh, this is how uh, God has set it up. So that means that we should read and study the Word of God. Uh, at the very least, we should have a regular devotion time with, with the Lord and his word. So, of course, you know, most of us understand what that is. But if you don't, uh, I would encourage you that, you know, you should have a personal devotion time. And this, of course, is time set aside out of your day where you spend time in the word and in prayer, but particularly having time in the word, as this is most often how God has chosen to speak to us. But it's work. It's, it's not going to be something that just eases into. I mean, you can be excited about it. Uh, You may look forward to it, but that's not necessarily going to be every single day that you have that same level of excitement and zeal to look into God's word because, guess, let's face it, you know, it's life. And um, uh, so it's going to require work and work not as in something that we do to earn favor with God. Uh, I heard uh, years ago, uh, again, as a a young believer and understanding the importance of having a personal devotion time and. and we, again, we should always be encouraged to do that. But I heard heard a pastor who was on the radio, and uh, long story short, he 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 basically had made up a law for himself and was sharing this with the congregation that you know no Bible, no breakfast. Basically, in other words, saying that if I miss my devotion time, to force me to to put forth the effort and preserve that time to have it every day, then I don't get to eat breakfast. I'm sitting there saying to so, myself, dude, you're going to have a lot of hungry days and hungry mornings, you know, or, or go to work and be around people where your stomach is growling because you've missed breakfast. Because, you know, let's just face it. Again, life happens. And there are things that are going to try to get in the way of you and God's word. Um, that's the first challenge that happened in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, casting doubt on God's word. And so... <clears throat> There's always going to be resistance to this. If it's not going to be from the enemy or if it's not going to be from distractions of the world, you know, the business of the day and things of life, then it's going to be your flesh. You just might not want to get up and have that time, uh, but it is worth it. Um, so, again, effort is required to make this a regular habit. But the benefit and the rewards to doing this are are immeasurable. Um, just when I think back you know, with my walk with the Lord, so much work has been done in that devotion time. Things that maybe I was a little foggy on, things that, you know, uh, I needed God to clarify for me. Man, just, just simply sitting there with God's Word and him and reading through it and just him speaking to me has just has been incredible. <clears throat> and I imagine, again, if you have a regular habit, I'm I'm not telling you anything you don't know. And so we have our part to do, but the Lord is also going to do his part. We have to put the effort in to, to get to the word, but God is not going to just leave us there uh, alone. First John chapter two, verse 27 says this again, speaking of the Holy Spirit, but the anointing which you have received from him, speaking of the Lord abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. So God has given us the Holy Spirit to encourage us, to strengthen us, to uh, enlighten our eyes, to to make the word make sense, to have it applied to our lives where it becomes more meaningful and real. As, so that it gets deep inside of us And so again the Holy Spirit Will help us understand his word So that we may see these wondrous things uh, That the psalmist writes about So this word wondrous means Marvelous or extraordinary It's not just something that's casual uh, We could say amazing Show us w- amazing things uh, In God's word And so God is the one who, who does The most wondrous things uh, Psalm 86 Verse 8, this is what the psalmist writes about about God and just his wonder. Psalm 86, verse 8, Among the gods there is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. And then the, the verse after that is actually one of my favorites, where he says, teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Wonderful thing about that for me is, is I, I don't want to, I shouldn't have done it, but here, here we are, um, is, is how the this there was a time in my devotions where I read this verse, and just with the psalmist, when he says, teach me your way, O Lord, and, and I have that in my heart. Lord, teach me your way. I want to learn more about your ways. And then, and then the next word that we see, it says, I will walk in your truth. Well, as I'm reading that, the Lord spoke to my heart when I said, teach me your way, O Lord, and then he spoke to my heart and says, abide in my word. And I'm like, amen, Lord. And then I can say with full zeal, I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Help me keep it together, Lord, so that I I can keep this that you have given to me, this desire for your word. And so God is the one who does wondrous things, speaking to us. Just, I mean, let's think about it. This, this is the, the Lord of all creation, the Lord of all the universe. <clears throat> there is none like him. He is high and holy and lifted up. His name is holy. He is glorious above all things. He needs nothing from us. And yet and still, he has chosen to set his love upon us. So much so where he will take time with each of us as individuals in the, in the morning. To, to, to speak to us and to, to minister to us. One of the wonderful things about having that devotion time with the Lord is not only is it glorious and a, and a blessing for us, but God desires it too. He loves to have that. He loves spending time with his children. You who are parents, you love having time with your, your children, and he, whether they're little or whether they're adults. And and God is the same way. And um, that, that's, I mean, this where are you going to find that? not going to find it anywhere except with the Lord. And so he does wondrous things. And um, uh, I won't read it for the sake of time, but in Exodus, uh, you know, God talks about all of the things that he did uh, with the plagues in Egypt, and he calls those wondrous things. God really, really showed up and showed off, as as some would say, um, uh, before Pharaoh, making it very clear who he was and that Pharaoh had a clear choice. And, of course, we know that it went the other way. Um, and he did that by, by revealing his glory and his wonder in that way. So, again, it's by the Holy Spirit that we see these wondrous things. The Holy Spirit, he, he enlightens our eyes for these things. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So the things in Scripture are wondrous to us when we see the awesomeness of God. When you can just look at Scripture and you just say, Lord, you're just, you're just so wonderful, so glorious. And, and that's the that's result of the Holy Spirit ministering. And so God can make seemingly ordinary things extraordinary or wondrous. Because, as 1 Corinthians one twenty five says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. His ways are much higher than ours. And so to cover the last uh, section of our verse, um, open my eyes and I may behold wondrous things from your law. So the wondrous thing that God wants us to see are in his word. And uh, just a couple of examples we could spend all night, we could spend all year (laughs) talking about (laughs) the wondrous things that he wants us to see. But but here's some things um, that I've pulled out and and his love. God wants us to see his love. Romans 5, 8, uh, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's in the Bible. That's in your Bible. You can read that and not have a question about God's love. You can read it right there. (laughs) It says God loves you and uh, his grace. Uh, Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast and uh, and his forgiveness. And that's Colossians chapter one. Verses 13 and 14, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So these are just a this is just a sliver of the wonderful things that God has placed for us in his word. We can literally look at it and and see clearly what it is stated. And and this is in his word because he wants it to be there and available to to all. So the Bible, of course, is the written word of God. But Jesus, of course, is the living word of God. He is everything that God has to say to us um, is is in him. And so all the wondrous things that God wants us to see in the Bible are about Jesus Christ because he is the he is the the topic, the theme. He is he is everything. It's all about him. And. uh, about to wrap up here, but just want to read a few verses that speak about Jesus Christ being the word and, and how glorious it is that he is that for us. Many of these are very familiar. John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Hebrews ten seven: The Lord speaking. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Luke 24, 25 through 27. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then lastly, Revelation 19, verses 11 through 13. John writes and he says, now I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And, you know, this last section that we that we read in Revelation, I mean, it's just an amazing as you, as you read the scriptures and as you are familiar with, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, the, you know, with much of what the prophets wrote, it shows up in the book of Revelation. So much of, of what we read in Revelation is, is from scripture and elsewhere. And just in this section here, it just talks about so many glorious things about Jesus Christ, um, all the symbolism and, and the things that are him. And it is, a, it is a wonderful thing that we can see in God's word and his law. And uh, and so these are the things that I think that God wants us to understand about the importance of his word and, and how um, it is to it is to our benefit to be in the word and to abide in it. And so to close, uh, the word of God is filled with these wonderful, glorious things that God has to say to us. And of course, we have the responsibility to read it. We're not going to get them if, if we're not in God's word. But the most wonderful thing about God's word is that it's all about Jesus Christ. And the more we read and study and and obey and trust the scripture, the more we'll learn about this wonderful, glorious uh, Lord Jesus Christ that we have. And I'll close with this verse. This is from Luke chapter 24, verses 44 and 45. This is is Jesus speaking um, to, to those. And he says, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Let's pray. Well, Father, it is... uh, so amazing that you have loaded up the Bible with so much of 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 you <laughs> because this the scripture is all about you. It's all about Jesus Christ, all about the things that uh, uh, you have done, your plan, where this is all going, and um, Lord, that there is so much more to come. <clears throat> and so as, as those who, who love and, and trust you and have seen Jesus, Lord, may you continue to uh, give us more and more of him as we uh, abide in your word, knowing that uh, it is very important for us to be established and firmly rooted in, in your scripture. Um, because uh, we can be made more useful uh, in this world that needs your word, and uh, we can be seen as, of, as people of your word. And so, Lord, may you uh, bless these things to our hearts, and may you be glorified in all we ask. And, and, Lord, may you get us all home safely. In Jesus' name, amen.